Hey, today we're continuing in our series uh, cra- uh, All In, and we're talking about crashing the parties. And uh, Mike alluded in his uh, in the community meditation that it is Valentine's Day coming up this week. And so, gentlemen, this is just your reminder that Valentine's Day is Tuesday, so you have two days. Um, if you order by like 3 o'clock from Amazon, it should get here by late Monday afternoon, and you should be all right. If not, the Dollar General will have cards, <clears throat> so you can check with them. But, but it, it's Valentine's Day this week, and so there's lots of, of things about love and, and, uh, in the air, and it's Super Bowl Sunday, and so there's lots of things going on about that. And I don't know that we're actually allowed to say Super Bowl Sunday in church. I think it's Big Game Sunday, um, the, the NFL and their trademarks, are they're little... So if, if our live stream gets shut down in a minute because we're trademark copyright, then we'll, we'll know. But anyway, we're, we're continuing in spite of all of those things in, in our series All In. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked uh, uh, about what it just looks like for us to be all in for the cause of Christ. What it looks like for us individually, personally, to, to say, hey, I, I'm putting all my chips in the middle of the table. I, I've anted up and I'm going all in. What's that look like for you? And so today we're going to look at another passage of Scripture where we see another person who decides that they're going all in, and we're going to look at their all-in moment. You know, one of the, the knocks against reading the Bible is that people say it, it's boring. I mean, and I, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but, it, but I would venture to say that there's a, a good percentage of us in this room this morning that at some point have thought, man, I just don't want to read the Bible. It's too boring today. And if you've had that thought, let me just confirm that for you. It's okay. There are some sections of the Bible. I know preachers aren't supposed to say this, but there are sections of the Bible that are boring. I mean, Leviticus drives me nuts. It's, it's the part of the scriptures where everybody starts the January 1. Hey, I'm reading through the Bible this year, and I'm going to read Genesis to Revelation. And you do great Genesis, you do great Exodus, and you get to Leviticus, and you're like, oh, my. Like, is this ever going to end? And if... and most people end up stopping there. They don't just skip ahead to Numbers and then Deuteronomy. But Numbers, let's be honest, unless you're a math person, Numbers is hard to read because there's a lot of, hence the name, Numbers. And so, so there are sections of the Scripture that just aren't all that fun to read. But let me encourage you with this, that there is something in the Scriptures for everybody. I mean, if you're, if you're like a, an action kind of movie person, man... Some of the stories in the Old Testament, I mean, it, it's all about going to war. So if, like, if you want action, there's plenty of action. If you want um, action in, in more, maybe a little modern sense, read the New Testament, the, the Gospels and, and the book of Acts. Man, those are full uh, of action. When you say, well, I, I'm more of a poetry kind of person. All right, Psalms and Proverbs, you're, you're covered. It, it, it's there. When you say, well, what about ladies, romance? Hey, there's all kinds of romance. There's Song, song of Songs and and even some of what Jesus has to say, you want to talk about being a feminist? And, and, and Jesus was the greatest feminist there was. That's always the knock is, well, the Christianity and the church is repressive. It, it holds people down. There was nobody that did more for minority groups in that day and age than Jesus. And so there's something for everybody. But one of the knocks is that it's not all that funny. Is there's not a lot of humor. And like, look, I, I'm... If I'm going to watch a movie, I want to watch something that's funny. I want to watch something that's going to make me laugh. And sometimes, you know, when you think of the Bible, comedy is just not at the top of your list. But when you read your Bible, don't check your sense of humor at the door. Because I think 
as, as you'll see in, in this passage today, I think there's some situational humor that's often just we, we miss it. We don't maybe we don't understand the context. We don't uh, understand uh, the timing of it. But there's there's some humor that can be found. And we're going to look at a passage today that that after we read it, you may say, well, maybe it wasn't that funny. But I think there's some situational humor that can be found. And it's found in Luke chapter seven. If you got a Bible, go ahead and flip over to Luke chapter seven. And let me just say while you're flipping there or maybe you're thinking, well, I'm just going to look at it on the screen. We put it on the screen because we want everybody to see what we're reading. But I'm going to tell you, if you think, you know, I, I'm not reading my Bible today because I, I, I read what was on the screen at church. That doesn't count. OK, that's not reading your Bible. That's not going to be enough to get you through the week. So so get a Bible, open it up and, and read along with me. Luke chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 36. It says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, I know at first glance you're saying, where was the funny part, right? And maybe it's not outright funny. Maybe it's, it's just more ironic, maybe kind of oxymoronic uh, more than anything else. But think about this. What was Jesus doing? He was attending a party thrown by a Pharisee. Now, you've got to understand who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were the religious people. They're the keepers of the law. They, they don't do anything wrong. They're... They're what we think of when we think of oppressive religious people, kind of the, we would say they had a stick uh, stuck somewhere, that, that's that kind of people. They are no fun people, and so these religious people are throwing a party. It's an oxymoron, Pharisee and, and party. I bet, I bet that party was the, the most boring party anybody had ever been to. I mean, they, they probably just stood around kind of feigning some interest about uh, Pharisaical talk with, the, you know, about the Sabbath law. But I guarantee there, were, there was no DJ, there was no punch, there were no pigs in blankets. I mean, that would, have been, that would have been outrageous. And look, I know this is going to come as a surprise to all of you. But when I was in high school, I was not what you would call the picture of the coolest person in high school. I know, stunned, right? Like, completely stunned. But at this party, like, I would have been one of the coolest people there. Like, look, I know bad parties... When I, when I read about one, because it's all I was ever invited to. This, this was a bad party. I would have been the coolest guy there, except for Jesus. Jesus is always going to be the coolest guy in the room. But then something incredible happens. This woman walks in. And I bet when this woman walks into this room that the Pharisees aren't expecting, I bet they kind of blush. But I bet Jesus had probably a little bit of a twinkle in his eye, because he knew this was about to get fun. This was about... To, to be as fun for him as healing on the Sabbath day. And, and for the record, Jesus could heal on any day of the week he wanted to, but I think he specifically chose to heal on the Sabbath because it was more fun to rile up some of the religious people, the religious Pharisees along the way while doing it. And just for your own benefit, if you're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, along the way, you're going to offend some religious people. You're going to offend some Pharise uh, Pharisees along the way. But can you imagine the look that, that the Pharisees probably had on their, on their very straight-laced face when this woman makes her surprise appearance? Maybe you missed what Luke said about her. He said his description of her was a woman that had lived a sinful life. Now that's Luke's real nice way of saying this woman was a prostitute. 
She's a hooker. It was Julia Robertson, pretty woman. That's the, and she just crashes the party. And she's in the middle of a house with a bunch of Pharisees. And I bet they probably started coughing uncontrollably. That, that kind of that <clears throat> clear your throat kind of cough when, when things are really awkward. But things are about to get even more awkward. Because she takes this alabaster jar of perfume that she has and she, she breaks it open. And she starts wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. That's got to be one of the most awkward parties that's ever happened. But this woman, I mean, she definitely makes a statement, doesn't she? Th this act of worship that this woman has is one of the most beautiful and meaningful statements of faith in all of Scripture. She, she risked her reputation, at least what's left of it, to anoint Jesus with this perfume. She knew that Pharisees stoned women like her. But that didn't keep her from pushing all of her chips into the middle of the table. She used her most prized possession, this alabaster jar of perfume, to make her statement of faith. And it's easy for us to read this passage of Scripture and think, well, okay, it's, it's odd, it's awkward. It's, it's a little kind of, we romanticize the idea of doing something big for Jesus. And, and it's kind of nice that she did that, but... She really, she just poured some perfume on his feet. Is it really that big of a deal? Well, you have to understand the significance of that jar. For starters, the, the perfume that's in that jar was pure nard. Uh, if you don't know what pure nard is, it's a perennial herb that is harvested from the Himalaya mountains. It only grows at about 30,000 feet or above in sea level. So it takes some work to get to it. And then you got to do all the work of, of crushing it and extracting the oil and all that kind of stuff. Pure nard on the internet right now... Uh, goes for about $625 for, for a pint of it. So it's, it's expensive. This woman poured out a half liter of, it, uh, of this. And, and the jar itself would have also been pretty expensive. It would have probably been a, a semi-transparent jar made of gemstones. It was probably a family heirloom. It might have even been her dowry as she was given away. So there's some financial significance to this jar. It wasn't cheap. But it also has some emotional significance there. That, that jar, it represented her past guilt and future hope. It represented both her professional identity and her financial security. Plain and simple, it was her most precious possession. It was the thing that, that meant more to her than anything else in her lifetime. How ironic and yet appropriate then that the perfume that was used in her profession as a prostitute would become the token of her profession of faith. She anteed up, she put all of her chips in the middle of the table by pouring out every last drop of that perfume on the feet of Jesus. Breaking that bottle was, for her, was like burning the ships like we talked about last week. It, there was going to be no more uh, masking the, the stench of sin with a, with a sweet scent of perfume. There would be no more risque rendezvous in the wee hours of the night. There would be no more secret encounters in discreet places. She walked out of darkness and into the light. This woman left the shadows of, 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 a, of a former life that, that haunted her with darkness and, and, and a reputation that she couldn't overcome. And she walked out of that darkness into the light of the grace of Jesus. You know, there comes a moment in everybody's life, I think, where we need to come clean. There comes a moment when we need to unveil the, the secret shame of sin. There comes a moment when we need to, to fall on the full weight of, of the grace of God. And this was that moment for this woman. This was this woman's all-in moment. 
in spite of her sin and her shame. She was going all in. And, and, and I know what we would say, what our tendency is, is, is I, well, I don't want to have that moment. I don't want anybody to know my secret sin. I mean, it, there's a reason it's a secret, right? I don't want anybody to know about the shame and the guilt that I might carry because that, that would be embarrassing to me. It would ruin my reputation. It, people would think different things about me. I, I, I get it. But why do we act like our sin disqualifies us from the grace of God? I mean, think about that. Why do we act like the sin, our sin in our life disqualifies us from the grace of God? Because if we're honest, if we're really honest, our sin is the only thing that qualifies us for the grace of God. Now, I'm not saying we go, you know, boast in our sin and continue to sin. That's not the point of this, that we would just keep doing the same thing over and over again that we know Jesus disapproves of, that we know is outside the will of God. But, but there comes a point where we got to put our sinful shame to the side and say that our sin is the only thing that qualifies me for the grace of God. My sin is the only thing that causes me to need a Savior. Think about this. If you didn't have sin in your life, you wouldn't need Jesus, would you? And if you didn't need Jesus, you wouldn't need a Savior. And if you didn't need a Savior, you wouldn't have the chance of heaven. Sin is what qualifies us for the grace of God. And going all in means radical repentance. This woman, when she breaks her alabaster jar, she, that's, that's a moment of repentance for her. There's, that's her way of saying, I don't have the option to go back to my previous way of life. Th this pattern of sin in my life is not an option for me. I, I've broken that. I've burned the ship. I'm all in. And for us, going all in means radical repentance. It means that you have to lay your cards out on the table, face up, through confession. Look, a genuine, wholehearted confession is what's required. A half-hearted confession always results in half-hearted love for Jesus. Downplaying sin is, is downplaying the grace of God, and it dishonors the sacrifice that God has made. What do you think would happen if people mustered the moral courage of this woman and, and walked into a room full of self-righteous people and revealed their sin, revealed unashamedly their sin, all while anointing Jesus as, as Lord and Savior? What, what would happen? I think a revival on earth would take place and a party in heaven. Bobby mentioned what's going on in Asbury. That's such a cool thing to see that these, these college students, they, they went to a chapel service on Wednesday and they just didn't leave. They just stayed there. Now, maybe one, maybe one or two might have said, hey, I got a test coming up. I'm just going to hang out here. Maybe. But they stayed and they, they're worshiping and, and there's... And there's part of this act that's going on up there where, where people are repenting of, of sins that have, that have held them down for too long. They're saying, hey, you know what, I, I've, I've tried to live life with one foot in, in the grace of God and one foot over in this dark secret world over here, and I can't do that anymore. I'm being pulled too many different ways. I'm being literally split apart, and so if I'm going to leave this, I've got to go all in here. And that's what's going on up there, and it's incredible. I think the same thing would happen if, if we as a church, if we as churches in this community, if we would just get over some of our self-righteousness and we'd be willing to embrace the embarrassment and the shame and say, you know what, God, I'm, I got a whole lot of stuff over here that I got to get rid of. I got a whole lot of stuff that I got to put, put away because I can't live in, with one foot in both worlds anymore. And so, I'm, so Jesus, I'm going to confess to you my sins. Look, you don't have to confess them to me. It's none of my business, okay? It's between you and Jesus. But Jesus, I'm going to confess my sins to you. 
and whatever, whatever I have that draws me back to this world, I'm breaking it. Whether it's an alabaster jar, a ship that needs to be burned, whatever, I, I am getting rid of it. And I'm all in. Break, breaking the alabaster jar is, is giving what's most precious to you to Him. It's, it's offering Jesus your, your past and your present and your future. It's finding your identity and your security in Christ alone and then only in Him. This alabaster jar, it ranks as one of the most unique offerings in all of Scripture. And that's part of what made it so personal. It's part of what, what makes it so special. It's an intimate expression of love. It was an extravagant expression of faith for this couple. I, I recently read a, a story about a, a woman who made a gift to a church that kind of fell in that same category. It was, about, it was a very intimate expression of love, an extravagant expression of faith. This young lady, her name was Shelly. Or is Shelly, and and Shelly was a, a a great young Christian woman. Is a great young Christian woman. She she's twenty something years old in a relationship. Everything's going right in her life. Her professional career's on the right track. Her personal career's going well. She's involved in the church. She she's one of these people that you want you want your college students to be around this as a this person as a young person because you're like, hey, this is what this is what you want to be. This is what you want to strive to be. And then Shelly faced some heartbreak in fact her heart was broken because her fiance just unexplainably and inexplicably called off their wedding and Shelly became in, consumed with bitterness she she prayed for for months for God to to eliminate this bitterness that she felt and she just felt like there wasn't any any way to escape this prison from this from this bitterness until after many months of praying about it Shelly said finally the Lord just kind of gave this to her, and she said, I felt compelled to give away the thing that at one time was most precious to me, her engagement ring. Shelly made an appointment to meet with the preacher, and she handed him a black box with a diamond ring in it, and she just said this, God told me to give this to the church. That was Shelly's statement of faith. And then she made another statement that I think is profound. She said, I believe my act of obedience can turn into someone else's miracle. I believe my act of obedience can be somebody else's miracle. That's, that's deep. And for Shelley, it did. There was another man, a uh, young man, uh, who had started attending church. His name was Matt. He was coming to church with his girlfriend, Jessica. And during one particular message, Matt felt, uh, he realized, or maybe convicted might be a better word, that he had never defined the terms of his relationship with the Lord. And so... He, wanted all of, he said he wanted all the benefits of, of being a Christian without any of the commitment to, to God that was required. And he realized that the same was true of his relationship with his girlfriend, Jessica. As Matt got more and more involved in the church, some men began to speak into Matt's life, and they began to call out his sin, and call him out of sin and into the grace of God until Matt eventually made a confession to those men. He confessed his addiction to pornography. And he said, when I made that confession, I felt like my life was over. But actually, it was a brand new beginning. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because confession breaks the power of canceled sin. Confession has the power to break canceled sin. And, and it allows the broken heart to, to begin to heal. Matt decided in that moment he was going all in. He, he meant business, and, and that meant that he needed to reestablish some, some biblical boundaries in his life. Moving out of the apartment with his girlfriend Jessica was a step forward spiritually but it was a step back financially. And that's just the thing, is that oftentimes obedience comes with a, with a steep price tag. But Matt wanted more than anything to propose to Jessica. 
but, but he felt like he needed to save enough for a ring first. That would be kind of the sign to him that he was ready for that type of commitment. And so he would save and save and save. And every time that he would save and he'd have enough money saved and he's ready to buy a ring, there would be some sort of financial emergency that would pop up that would just drain his savings. And it was right about that time that Matt was giving up on getting a ring for Jessica that Shelly had given her ring to the church. The church staff had been praying about who they should give this ring to, and it just became clear to them that Matt and Jessica's name was written all over that ring. And so one day the preacher surprised Matt with the ring, and then not long after that, Matt surprised Jessica and he proposed to her. In that moment, Shelly's obedience turned into Matt and Jessica's miracle. It was Shelly's all-in moment that made this all-in moment possible. One other thing about that story, as, as great of a story as it is, it's even a little bit better. Before Matt proposed to his girlfriend Jessica, he asked Jessica's dad if, for permission. He asked, you know, the old, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage thing. And Matt's father-in-law said this to him. He said, all I've ever wanted for my children is that, that they would marry someone who, who loves Jesus first and foremost. And then he put Matt on the spot and he asked him this question. He said, Matt, do you love Jesus more than you love my daughter? And that's a dangerous question for a future son-in-law to, to answer. Matt paused for a moment. And he said this, he said, for the first time in my life, I can honestly say yes. Let me ask you, what's most precious to you? Is it your spouse, your kids, your job, your paycheck, your, your past accomplishments, your future goals, your, your, your proudest, uh, your proudest uh, accomplishments, your deepest desires? What, what is most precious to you? It's quite possible that this alabaster jar represented every single penny of this woman's life savings. Two different gospel writers find it noteworthy enough to, to tell us that it was worth an entire year's salary. But that didn't matter to this woman. All that mattered to this woman was that she was breaking this jar and she was going all in. She was leaving the past behind. She was leaving the darkness behind. And she was walking into the light of grace. And here's the thing. When you make that kind of decision, when you make a decision like that to... to to leave a, a, a previous life behind and to walk into light, walk into the grace of God, people will often have very strong reactions. People that you wouldn't think would have real strong reactions. It might not be the reaction that you think that they would have. People that have known a, a previous version of you, they might say things like, well, that won't last. Or, well, we've been through this before with them. Or, or lots of other things. And, and let's be honest, we should be honest with ourselves. When, when we all know people who have who've professed some sort of change and we've all made, maybe not said it out loud, but we've at least thought in our head, well, it, it ain't going to last. We've seen that before. We've said the same thing. The, the Pharisees, these religious people who, who you would think, hey, somebody is leaving darkness behind and coming into grace. Pharisees ought to be happy about that, right? What did they say? Verse 39, their reaction shows us they weren't real happy. It said, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Our reactions often reveal more about us than our actions. Look, I think most of us are probably pretty good actors, but it's far more difficult to fake a reaction. In, in Matthew's version of this story, um, he tells us that the disciples also have a strong reaction. All right, So the disciples, they're, they're maybe in a, a little bit better category than the Pharisees. They're not... They're not the religious staunch, but, but they're certainly learning the ways of Jesus. And so a woman's walking out of, out of darkness and into grace, going to be a follower of Jesus. You think, hey, the disciples, they ought to be, be thrilled about this, right? 
No, they call her offering a waste. In fact, they said all this expensive perfume basically just being poured down the drain. We could have sold it and gave it to the saved the gave the money to the to the poor. We could have fed the poor. We could have done all this. They called it a waste. But Jesus defended it. What what they called a waste, Jesus called a beautiful thing. In fact, Jesus went on to say this. He would say, wherever the gospel is preached, wherever, throughout the world, what she has done will be t- will also be told in memory of her. Can you imagine what that one statement did for that woman? What it did for her self-image, for her self-respect? It had probably been a long time since, since someone had given her a compliment like that. Probably, maybe, maybe never. But that one sentence, it punctuated her life. It, it ended the old chapter and it began the new chapter. Jesus wasn't just predicting 15 minutes of fame for her. He was prophesying that she would make his name famous in all the world by her going all in. What she did for Jesus would be told. And it wouldn't be so that she would get glory. It would be that he would get get the glory. You see, Jesus wasn't focused on a previous sinful life. He was banking on her righteous potential. You know, no one can spot potential like Jesus does. He's the one that gives it to us in the first place, isn't he? Potential is, is God's gift to us. And what we do with that potential is our gift back to God. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe once said, Treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he can and he should be, and he will become as he can and should be. You see what Jesus did for this woman? He gave her something to live up to. That's the exact opposite of what the Pharisees and the disciples did, didn't it? They said, you know, if this man really knew who was touching him, if this man knew what kind of woman she was, what what a waste of, of perfume this is. See, the only thing the Pharisees saw when they saw this woman was a sinner. Nothing more, nothing less. I think oftentimes we're probably guilty of that too, aren't we? But not Jesus. Jesus sees past the past. He sees past the sin. He sees the image of God in, in them. It's like looking in the mirror for Jesus and he, he sees the reflection of God in, in those people. Man, how I want to be more like Jesus when I see people. I want to see people like Jesus sees people. I want to see past their past. I want to see past their sin. I want to see, I want to see their potential. I want to see the potential in them that Jesus sees in them. I think too often we, we look at people like Pharisees do. You know, Pharisees treat people based on past performance, but Jesus treats people based on future potential. Pharisees give people something to live down to, but Jesus gives people something to live up to. Pharisees write people off, but Jesus writes people in. Pharisees only see sin, but Jesus sees the image of God. Pharisees give up on people, but Jesus gives second and third and, and more chances. The Pharisees reduce this woman to, to just a label, sinner. And we do the same thing, don't we? We give people all kinds of labels, political labels, sexual labels, religious labels. But in the process, we strip them of their individuality and their complexity. It's our prejudice. You know, prejudice is just prejudging. It's assuming that every bad story ends badly. But Jesus is in the business of turning bad beginnings into happily ever afters. He did it for the woman caught in adultery. He did it for the thief on the cross. And he does it for me and he does it for you. Listen to me on this. God cannot give up on you. God cannot give up on you. It's not in his nature. His goodness and his mercy will follow you all the days of your life. But you have to crash the party. You have to, you have to go where you, maybe you're not supposed to be sometimes. You have to walk out of darkness and into light. You've got to crash the party. Look, I can guarantee you this. 
The prostitute, this woman, she was not on that guest list. She was not welcome there, I am sure of that. But she was good at getting into places where she wouldn't be welcome. There would have been safer times and safer places to anoint Jesus, but she decided to crash the party. She couldn't wait. What she needed to do had had immediate results and had had an expedited need to, to be accomplished. And so she crashed a Pharisee's party. I can't help but find a little humor in that, that a prostitute crashed a Pharisee's party and taught them more about God, showed more about God than they had ever known. I don't think Jesus had much time for religiosity. I don't think religious protocol meant much to Jesus. If he had, he would have chosen the Pharisees to be his disciples instead. But Jesus loved and praised and rewarded one thing over and over and over and over again. Desperation. Desperation for God that superseded decorum. Jesus loved spiritual desperados. I mean, think about this. Jesus honored the tax collector who climbed a sycamore tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus by having lunch with him, didn't he? Jesus honored four friends who climbed up and cut a hole in somebody's ceiling so that their, their paralyzed friend could be healed. Jesus honored the woman who fought her way through the crowds just to touch the hem of his garment by, by healing her chronic illness. And Jesus honored this prostitute who crashed the party by restoring her dignity and giving her a new lease on life. And nothing has changed in that regard. Nothing. Jesus still honors desperados who climb trees and fight crowds and crash parties. The real question just for us is, how desperate are we? Are we desperate enough to make a move, to make a change, to make a sacrifice? Desperate enough to to pray through the night? Desperate enough to read through the entire Bible? Desperate enough to resolve a conflict? Desperate enough to to stay in worship? Desperate enough to go all in with God? Someone once said, true spirituality is the place where desperation meets Jesus. Look, the path of least least resistance never gets us to where we want to go. We know that, don't we? Shortcuts always end up being cul-de-sacs. But the key to spiritual growth is, is to go out of your way for God. To, to go out of your way for God, to step out of your comfort zone. Because let me tell you, you will find God in uncomfortable places and at inconvenient times. That's where God seems to show up the most. But if you go out of your way for God, if you are willing to go out of your way for God, then I can promise you this, God will go out of his way for you. You just have to be willing to crash the party. Are we ready to crash parties? Let me pray for us.